Welcome to the Game Agenda, a podcast where three gay guys bring board games out of the closet and onto the table. I'm Kevin. I'm Larry. And I'm Matt. And unfortunately, Ben, our fourth player, is not here with us this week. He's off being super awesome and wonderful on his own podcast. He has another one called Watch What Crappens. It's a reality, like, kind of check-in on all the Bravo reality shows there. So uh, if you haven't checked that out, definitely do that where you find your podcasts. But um, he's sad he can't be here for this one. But we're going to try and soldier through. And this week, we are going to be doing a review of the game Rajas of the Ganges. Uh, and then a little later, we're going to be talking to um, somebody about forming your own gay board game group meetup. So that'll be a nice little feature. But first, let's do what we love to do always, which is say what you've been playing. So, Larry, why don't you kick us off here and say what you've been playing recently? Sure. Um, I recently backed a Kickstarter for a board game set in the Mistborn universe. And if you don't know what this is, it's a series of books by, oh, and I forget the author's name right now, but it's a, kind of a fantasy world. And the board game uh, is set in that world, of, cor- of, of course, where it's a bunch of kind of negotiation and political intrigue. So it was really cool. I got the opportunity to play it, played it with a couple of people, hadn't got to play it yet. We... Were major houses negotiating with each other, trying to avoid the downfall of uh, the emperor, or try to to cause the downfall of the emperor. Really mm. wasn't quite clear which. Curious. Uh, depends. Do we, to, do we have to be worried about you? Uh, it depends on whether or not you want me to go down or not. I guess is is <laughs> the question. Um, yeah, but it was it was a lot of fun. I lost. I got stabbed in the back repeatedly oh. by who? Uh, by everybody at the table, basically. <laughs> yeah, too brute. Exactly. I I am not one who normally likes getting stabbed in the back. So um, it was a, a sad, sad experience. But it was a lot of fun. I was glad that I got to play the game. Glad I got to break it out. Glad I got to revel and spend some time in the Mistborn universe, which I love. I think they're fantastic books, and I highly recommend folks go check them out if they haven't yet. And uh, yeah, so it was a lot of fun. It was very cool. And, nice. and, and for a Kickstarter, too, I'll say it was actually really good. It was good components, good quality. The game itself was really, really well. Very simple, um, but a lot of fun. Nice. Well, um, speaking of Kickstarters, I actually just uh, yesterday got to play Grim Forest. Another uh, Kickstarter. Which was a big Kickstarter game. Uh, and it's it's really fun. And it's, it has like tons of minis and things. Right? It's, it's like one the of most absurdly overproduced game ever. I <laughs> love it. That's so you're like, awesome. You're like building the straw house or the brick house. Or the yeah. House. It's sort of... It's, oh it's, my it's God, classic, all fairy it's tales. classic oh, grim fairy tales. You're, you play descendants of the three little pigs. And so you're trying to build houses out of straw and wood and brick. <laughs> uh, the first player to build three houses is the winner. Uh, but the main mechanic of the game is this sort of simultaneous action selection uh, where each round you're choosing where you want to go get resources. So you can go mm-hmm. to the woods to get wood, you can go to the fields to get Don't straw. Don't go into the woods. That, that can only end in the woods. In the... Actually, the woods were the dangerous place in our game. Of so, course. Um, and you, it affects what you get depending on how many people go there, right? Exactly. So basically if you go there and you're the only one who goes there, you get all the resources. <gasps> oh, but and so it's a choice like nobody knows who's choosing you exactly. and you reveal. It's all secret. It. And so you basically are trying to pick where other people aren't picking uh, but then at the same time, people are trying to complete different houses because the first person to complete each type of house gets a bonus. And where it gets really fun is you can get these fable cards, which then are like either events or they can be monsters like the big bad wolf okay. um, or like the troll bridge, like a troll under the bridge, things like that. Uh, and each of the monsters, uh, they have the huge mini, all the minis in the game are like 
giant and overproduced <laughs> and it's great. Uh, you have your little pig minis, which all you do with them is you just like put them on the place that you picked. <laughs> well, the monster minis, do they do anything? Or they just kind of hang yes, out by your because when board? you play them, every time you play a monster fable, you put the monster in one of the locations. In our game, the wolf kept being in the woods, which oh, makes perfect, sense. perfect, perfect. Uh, and then it messes with the people who go to that location. So in... Are they pre-painted or are they're these gray? They're not pre-painted, no. Okay. So they're gray minis. The pigs have little colored bases because there's mm-hmm. the player boards are really beautiful. They look like the different seasons sort of, and they're also different fables. Like one of them has Rapunzel. Okay. Mine had like the, the Hansel and Gretel. And so nice. different fables and all the different fable cards have those too. And then the other thing that's fun is once you build your houses, you can get friends, which are all the different fabled characters. <laughs> I love friends. I have no friends in real life, so this is a good opportunity oh, for me to have <laughs> in the game. That's so ridiculous. Uh, you had to be playing the game with somebody. It's true. <laughs> the random people who were at my meetup. <laughs> uh, but good. it was a lot of fun. And, you know, of course, the characters like it's like Snow White and Robin mm-hmm. Hood and all these different yep. characters. It was a lot of fun. I love simultaneous secret action, like. I love those I games where you're trying to, it's like a mind game of like, what are they going to pick? What am I going to pick? I need to pick the thing that they're not picking. Or then like one of the characters, Snow White, is every turn you get to steal a fable from somebody who is on your space. So now it's like, okay. now you want to pick the same locations as other people. So Have you ever read the comic series Fables? No. Yes. No. Okay. But I did play so, the board game series Fable. Okay. Which I also love the I mean, Fable. Did I say board the, game? the video game. The video, video game. game fable. Sorry, I can't get off of board games. Very different than Fables, the comic series, but highly recommended. It's kind of a, a weird take on the grim fairy tales in a mm. way. It's kind of like what Once Upon a Time kind of then did on TV, but this was in comics first. And it's kind of lovely, and I think you'd really enjoy it. And it would like feed your grim fairy tale, you know, kind of desires. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. It, it's, it's a very light game. It's like very simple to learn learn kids could learn it uh but it's like the pieces are just gorgeous and the insert is like a whole other thing but now is the retail version going to have all those extra pieces to I it think or so really? I, I don't know i know that there's like i think the, the kickstarter exclusive is there's like a nice box sleeve which looks really cool and there's like a first player little miniature that comes with it uh and i think i could tell that that was a kickstarter thing because the first player miniature didn't have like a pot a spot in the mold for where it goes but oh, everything else is all has designated spots in the mold for the little insert so i well, assume good. it's all in the regular edition yeah fun yeah Cool. So I got to play one of my uh, favorite-ish games uh, recently, uh, Eldric Horror. You know, I love the whole uh, Lovecraftian horror universe in board games. Uh, and so it, it, you know, strokes a bunch of my favorite things like co-op and horror and running around and maybe most likely you're not going to win but you know all it's a the, long game isn't it always right you know and, and it never seems like it's going to be you're like oh we just have to do like two things but those two things are like multi-layered and you get pushed back at every like turn and all these horrible rumors show up that cause trouble but um, there's something really fun about be- being like a detective type character in this world, uh, following clues and trying to kind of which, overcome uh, this huge thing. Which Elder God were you up against? Uh, Cthulhu or something Cthulhu? like that. Cthulhu? Yeah, it's, like, that like, it's like his wife. Bride of Cthulhu. I don't know if it specifically <laughs> said if it was like his wife or his sister or something, but it was clearly like female Cthulhu like hanging out there. And I don't remember ever coming upon her before. She was... Um, not as hard as some of the elder gods, but she does like 
some crazy stuff like you have to do something to get her to appear first and you have to have her appear. Mm -hmm. You know, in some cases with the game, you can like finish it and not have the Elder God show up. In this one, she will show up. It's just when... And then, then you have to like kind of kick it into high gear. What I love about the Fantasy Flight series of kind of Cthulhu games, all the Arkham <laughs> there are games, a lot of there's them. a lot of them. Is, <laughs> Arkham and Elder Sign. Uh, yeah, they go on and on. on, and on but and on. all the characters that you can play are basically the same in each yeah, universe. Well, that's what's it so fun about it. If you play, if you love Arkham Horror, if you love, you know, uh, Elder Signs, whatever it is. You know, Mandy, whatever her name is, the librarian. Mm-hmm. She shows up a couple times, or the cop. Well, aren't, the, aren't those Ashton characters? Pete are they in Lovecraft books or no? So I read a great little, you know, book of short stories of that, and I don't know that you see some very specific characters like that. Although I may be missing some stories where they do show up. A lot of the times, it's like an unnamed man right. who's the main character. It's like much more gothic in oh. its representation because. Looking at the characters, they seem very much like that. This is the main character. Or well, something it like does, that. and there might be some other stories I'm forgetting about that like go into some of these individuals. There's never a group story where all these people right. show up that I'm aware of. Like no. this is very cross the universes, you know, kind of idea. Uh, but that's what feels fun about it. It's also like a vast universe with like a lot of backstory. Part of the fun of the game is when you first get your character, there's a whole backstory on the back of the card. And we like would take turns going around reading it and maybe making up funny accents if we think that that's where they're from. And not doing a very good job of it, but we do it anyway <laughs> to try and really make it more about the play um, than just, okay, we got to go do this and then go do that. You know. So which fun. character did you play? Uh, we, I'm trying to remember because we. Were you the psychologist, Carolyn Fern? No, no, I was this time. I don't know. I, my character didn't die, so I only did play one. So I should remember. It was uh, one of the guys. Oh my gosh, who started in Alaska? I remember that because he, he was all the way in Nowhere's Land, and I think he was supposed to have a funny accent. And I tried it reading the story; it went so poorly. I never brought the accent up again. Um, <laughs> so I can't. I don't know if he was Irish or something. It was just, and I'm half Irish, and I couldn't. I couldn't pull it off. Um, so that was a, that was a problem. But then a couple of the other characters didn't make it through the whole game. So we had like six or seven characters by the time we were all done for the That's four of nice us playing. Thing too is when characters die, you're not out of the game. You just pick up someone else and kind of keep going. Can you go crazy in that one? Yeah. Okay, that's my well, favorite part about those There's games. a lot of, you know, you get a lot of problems in this game yeah. where, you know, you get injuries, both mental and physical, and they really screw with the game. And it's just one of those kind of fun nuance where you can create a story. There's just always a fun story to be told, mm-hmm. even if it's like against all odds and you're not going to make it. So I, I kind of like that. That's kind of the fun part of the game. But there's a lot of fiddly bits in that game, though, too, isn't there? Well, yes, and there's a lot of pieces. You know, talking about sometimes we've talked about games that have a lot of setup. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of setup, a lot of different decks of cards, depending where you are, which card do you pick. And if you're getting an item, there's different item decks. So it's it's a lot of management. But that can but, be fun when done right, you know. Well, and I got to tell you, so I played with Kane, one of our, our friends, Kane, and he loves a setup. Like he has, <laughs> he went to the container store and got these great things so all the cards have little slots it makes it so easy to play this crazy game and everybody you know we're stationed around the table where we each have our area of control this is like you're in charge of these cards those items and the clue tokens or whatever it may be you're
you're in charge of the bag of monsters. You're in charge, you know, all He gets up. very particular about it. Oh, and it's so <laughs> smooth. I got to tell you, it runs super smooth well, because I mean, that, of that. that. You need to have that when you're dealing oh, yeah. with all those pieces. And it, and it makes, I think, the whole experience more enjoyable. Oh, it's so much fun because of that. Because everybody kind of has a job, not just the game, but you also have some like behind the scenes job. And you're... I don't know. It just you feel it keeps you engaged. Like during a cooperative game, when somebody may be doing their turn, you're still right. very invested in what's going on because you're doing a part of the bigger whole. See, for me, I can't play those games because <laughs> a lot of co-op games have this problem with me, which is where I sort of like it's so it's to you me have it, feels, reputation. it feels Alpha like a sing- gamer. It feels like a single player game because yes, ultimately does, we're all like you. making decisions together. So. I have to have, like, secret information or hidden conflicting objectives in my co-op games. Have you played XCOM, the board game, the oh. co-op game? I haven't, no. Because okay. in that game, you only have, like, 30 seconds to make a decision, and everybody yes. has their own role, and so that might be perfect for you. Real, any kind of time limitation on co-op games, to me, a lot of time makes them a lot better. Another game just recently that Larry and I just played that I liked a lot was um, Spirit Island, which is a co-op game. I have to play that one. I, what's interesting about that is there's so much going Going on with your individual character that's unique in a way it's hard for somebody else to play for you because mm-hmm. everybody's taking their turn at the same time as well yeah. that's that's important i think any it kind of makes it a great co-op yeah. i gotta say I, I recommend that like yeah i like co-ops where you can't play it like you can't have an alpha gamer because there's competing time or simultaneous play or whatever things like that because because I end up doing that. But enough of this cooperative kind of play. It is oh, time to talk. Yeah, exactly. You can, you can, you know, <laughs> calm down there, Matt. Because we are going on to a super competitive game. Uh, we are going to move on to the main agenda. And this is our review on Araja of the Ganges. So a little bit about the game first. It's a two to four player game. Um, we've played it a couple times through, and one of the times, a couple of the times have been three players. We've done a four-player game, so it's been a, a little bit all over the place. It's designed by Inca and Marcus Brand, who, if you don't know these two, they are charming as all heck. <laughs> they have a little video where they actually describe Raja the Ganges on the website. You can check it out. And it's in German, but they have nice little, like, you know, under, you know, you kind of describe subtitles. the whole thing. Yeah, subtitles. And it's just charming so charming um so they've designed a whole bunch of other games too but like this is one of their newer ones it's uh, published in the united states by r&r games i think internationally mm-hmm. by by Huch, with the little like, exclamation point at the end of the, the german Huch. Uh, it's you know you have Hutch. to get if you're doing no if you're doing good german you got to get the <laughs> in, in the end there so uh that's published by them internationally uh the setting for this game is 16th century india so everybody who's playing the game is playing a different Raja, like a, a nobleman, you know, mm-hmm. in the area. And you are kind of, you have a, your own individual little board, and then there's the main player board. So on your individual board, you're building an estate. It's your so province. this is the idea. It's your whole problem. Yeah, mm-hmm. you have your whole land area. And you're trying to Deforesting build it Deforesting it to build. Ripping <laughs> out all of the greenery that you can. <laughs> to Clearing <laughs> the plain open land <laughs> to build yeah, maybe not palaces the best, and, yeah. and trading posts. But it is called River. Uh, Raja the Ganges so the main board has the Ganges River that cuts through the whole thing and uh, the main board for the most part has like worker placement areas on it you have a lot of dice management in this game so there's ways to change out dice for different dice or to do certain things by using your dice and then the river itself has its own track where you have little boats that go up and down so you're you're kind of a noble person getting all these different things and in theory building up your you know particular province mm-hmm. as we were kind of saying so that's kind of the setting of the game 
game. Uh, it is like a mixture of some worker placement, some dice management, uh, some tile building when you get to your own individual group. So you have a, a lot of those mixing of things. And then there's um, on the main board two victory tracks. And this is a kind of an interesting point. They start kind of in the same corner and then go opposite ways around the track. One is fame and one is money. And uh, the main way you win the game is by crossing your tracks or being the one who crosses the tracks the most if uh, you have some really good players and more than one person does it in the final round. So the idea is you're trying to build up your fame by doing a bunch of different things. You're building up your money and hopefully you're going to get one of them further along than somebody else to cross. Uh, so that's a little bit about kind of like what the setup is. Um, I guess we should kind of get into a little bit more of the specifics of the gameplay and all. But uh, Larry, I'm going to kick it over to you for a second and say, like, you know, we talk about some things we've heard of before, some worker placement, some tile building. What what do you think special and unique about this game? Well, there's a, there's a couple things for me that I found to be special and unique. I mean, first, you touched on it briefly already, is the, the track, the scoring track and the mm-hmm. way kind of the victory condition is. I love the fact that you have to focus on both fame and money in order to win. Interestingly, the first couple times I played it, I thought, well, you really got to kind of focus on both and it's kind of a balancing act. But the most recent play that I did, <laughs> I really just focused on fame and not so much on money. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's a viable strategy. You can win that way. I like that. It, it gives a lot of different avenues of success and ways of focusing on the game. And you see that as well based on how you collect resources, right? Like mm-hmm. you can collect fame by building the buildings or you can collect money by focusing on the trading posts. And both of them generate a lot of one thing or the other to really help you kind of win. I got to say, when I first played, the first time we played the game, I thought this was a game of balance, very much so. And it's like, you'll only ever win if you put the same amount of energy into the one side and the other. And and Larry, you, you totally proved it wrong this time where you, you focused a lot on one. You didn't ignore the other per se, but it, you really put more energy into fame than you did in money and you proved you could you could cross where i was still lo- i was very lost in the last game we played <laughs> i don't know what was happening i was rolling dice getting low numbers not helping anything i didn't know what to do too many choices the other thing i like about this game too is the kind of um ganges river goes mm-hmm. through it and it's a mm-hmm. whole kind of separate avenue of spaces and bonus tiles that you can kind of take and on first blush you might think well why does it matter i'm really going to focus on fame and money but the bonuses that they give you are really, really powerful. Yes. You know, you know extra dice really easily, moving up spaces, which um, to, to then multiply uh, extra fame points or, you know, uh, larger amounts of money than you might otherwise be able to get. Well, and it's interesting, too, because there's sort of a default set of, of those actions that are on there. But then at the beginning of each game, you put out other tiles on top you cover up some of the river spaces with even better more powerful tiles and so it changes every game what's available and the thing that i think is really interesting about the river is that once you go forward you can't go back so by the way did not know that the first time we played (laughs) and i remember being so excited (laughs) that I went to the one there's a worker placement space that allows you to go six spaces on the river and I went there twice in a row like on two turns and so I'm like more than halfway through the river and then I look back and I'm like oh I guess I just missed everything (laughs) because you only get the spots that you stop on so if you go really fast you're skipping over a bunch of spots maybe to get to a better spot that you need but you can't go back later and you can if you get to the end you're just like 
okay, I'm at the yep, end now. I, I sat at the uh, end. I was like, I'm in my boat floating here. Having said that, the spaces at the very end of the river are really powerful. Yeah. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. like one fame for every spot that you've advanced on. You know, two fame for every spot in the river that you've... Yeah, excuse me, for every uh, yeah. karma point that you have. Which is another thing I really think is special about this game is the way that karma works. Yes. It's a, it's, yeah. Because this game includes a, a dice mechanic and dice management, the karma is a way to manipulate and modify the dice. It allows you to spend the karma point to just flip it to the other side. Mm-hmm. So it's a way to take low numbers and suddenly turn them into high numbers or to take high numbers and bring them down low and flip them into low numbers. You know, I, it, for me, it fits the theme of karma. You're, yes. you're kind of being reincarnated in the opposite of what you were, you know. And I like that you can only, you can't, there's no like, there's no way in this game to like add one to your die. Like, no. For, for a dice management game, is, no, they didn't do that to you. All you can do is flip from one side to the other. So it's like three and four match up, five and two and one and six. And that actually matters a lot in the game because you need specific numbers to go on different spaces. There's like six, I don't know, advisors or whatever you call them that you can go on. They give you special actions. And then, so there you need specific numbers to use them. And then the moving along the river is you want generally low numbers. And then building the buildings is you generally want higher higher numbers. Uh, but it's interesting interesting how you just like with that karma you can really change your game with it so well what matt why don't you talk about that a little bit because i think this game is so much management about mm-hmm. a lot of moving parts we're talking about two moving fame tracks mm-hmm. or two moving tra- victory tracks fame and money we're talking about a bunch of people you can visit a bunch of dice you can change out for different colors because the colors allow you to buy certain particular property mm-hmm. um you have markets there's the the river all of these moving parts and pieces talk a little bit about how you manage all that in this game yeah well i think what's i think what i really like a lot about this game is there's a lot of tension between competing things so uh you need dice to do a lot of the actions in the game for building for going on a river for almost every space you need dice for so like managing how many dice and what colors and numbers of dice you have is like one thing you're trying to do but uh, and, and that you need to sort of plan out. But then on the other hand, you're also competing over which of these buildings am I going to build and which of the actions am I going to be able to take. So if I'm running low on dice, which in this last game we played, I seemed, seemed like I was always low on dice. It's tough because I'm like, oh, I could spend my last die or two to go build something. But now I have like no dice and it gives and, and that actually restricts my actions a lot because pretty much the only thing I can do from there is like take more dice. Uh, so a lot of it is trying to take actions that can give you bonus dice so that you can then use those dice to sort of do other things. So I like that there's a lot of tension and managing between that. Uh, and, and, and what's, what's, I think what's really cool is that even though there are these, these two tracks that we touched upon that, but also the tracks work very differently. Yeah. Um, yeah. so first their scale is different. So basically every two money is worth one fame on the track. Um, so they sort of like run around the outside and the fame spaces are twice as big as the money spaces. So um, there's a different scale, but then also the fame you never spend. You're sort of always accumulating it and you gain fame each time you build buildings, but you can boost up how much fame you gain for different types of buildings that you build. So that's the fame. Whereas the money, it's like you're gaining the money and then you can spend it to do a lot of the actions in the game. So it's sort of moving up and down. And the way the money works is... You get, uh, you get extra money from using your markets. So you can build marketplace buildings and they have different types of goods that they produce. And so you gain your money repeatedly. You get nothing when you build the market, but then as you sort of 
go to your marketplace, you then can you can activate it. You can gain money every round. Mm-hmm. And so a part of it is like balancing up like, oh, I want to try to get a money engine early so I can get from my markets. But then there's also workers that you unlock on both the fame track and the money track and the river track. So it's like a whole so lot of stuff. you have to go up on some of these things where you're going to be down a person, which mm-hmm. is so important because you only start with three workers. So that's only three actions to take. There's a lot of moving parts and pieces in this. And and I get it. I love the word you said, tension. I feel that we, we also this time, this last time played without the additional um, marketplace or space. An expansion, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. an expansion. And what it did was make the dice management so much tighter because there Mm -hmm. weren't easy ways to get a bunch of dice. And... um, I love the dice part of this. Any any game where you have a bunch of dice you get to roll all the time. And every time you take, you know, a new color die from a spot, you have to roll it to see what the number is. Mm-hmm. So you're constantly rolling a couple of dice and I love that. Can I just say the color of, of these <gasps> dice are beautiful to yes. me? Beautiful. They're they're kind of bright. Um, there's, there's orange. There's orange. There's yes. purple. Uh, That's what. Wait. There's, oh my we gosh! Only like it because it has your you colors. guys. These four colors of dice oh. are our four favorite colors. I just realized that too. You're right. Maybe yeah. that's there's why purple we love that. for Larry. There's green for Kevin. There's orange for me, and there's blue, blue for, for ben. ben. That is kind of true. <laughs> Maybe that is what why we love these so much. Maybe, but they're they're like this nice translucent. Oh, the translucent is gorgeous. They're very pretty. It's almost like hard candy. Like they're a bunch of um, Jolly Rancher like yes. dice. And I, I will forever say, anything is brilliant if it makes me think of food and I want to eat it. The game agenda does not condone the eating of dice from Rogers of the Games. <laughs> we will Just not so be a party to you having to be like, yeah. These but, are not Tide Pods. Um, <laughs> another it's thing, a new, new challenge. Another thing that, uh, an element of the strategy is building on your board and going for the bonuses. Larry, you actually did, you you focused on that oh, a lot, it seemed like, on this last game. You did that. Yeah, my, I got a, a bonus tile at the beginning of the game that would give me uh, fame based on how far up the river I was. So the early part of my game was really just focusing on getting dice from the river and moving up the river as quickly as I could. Mm-hmm. I knew that would unlock an a extra worker for me and would give me dice that I could then use to grow everywhere else. So that was my strategy. But didn't was, work out quite in the end, well, but you, it was pretty okay, close. You crossed your track. So yeah. we will just say Which, this. I'm going to admit this in the podcast. Me, Kevin, zero. I didn't even come close to crossing. <laughs> Both Matt and Larry crossed, and it's just that Matt happened to cross his tracks a little further. But like, so even though Larry's trying to downplay his strategy, it was a strong strategy, and it was different. We haven't seen people use the river so well, I think, mm-hmm. recently. I think the downfall for me, as compared to Matt, is he was able to get out his workers a little bit quicker than me. Yep. And, you know, in every worker placement game, having as many workers as you can before everybody else is going to give you an advantage. This game gives you a kind of consolation prize. You get to take an Uh extra kind of bonus piece to put on your board. The thing is, is I don't necessarily know that I use that to kind of the, Mm. the extent that the game kind of wanted me to, I didn't focus so much on the tableau building. And so because I was behind by a couple of turns, I maybe didn't get as much of a benefit from it as, as the game expected me to. Yeah. I definitely feel like getting, getting your workers early is really important. I know. Uh, I I knew it. I couldn't do it. I don't know why I kept staring at them. The one floating in the water, the one floating in the fake track, (laughs) please come to me. I could not get them for the life of me for a while. And I, I got to tell you, that was a big, big, you know, handicap in this. But that's part of the fun. For, I, I mean, for me, was kind of mathing out like, okay, yes. well, 
I could focus on trying to get the fame here, but it means I'm not going to get another worker for another mm-hmm, turn. Mm-hmm. Is Matt about to get a worker? Do I need to kind of push it? And you know, goes to that tension. Mm-hmm. The tension. Yeah, I, I think I think that's really fun. The other thing that I really like about the way the building works in this game mm-hmm. uh, is that there you you have, you need dice to build, and the higher the value of dice, sort of the better type of building you can build. But what's interesting about the buildings is there's like three columns that you can build in of the different colors the first column uh everything costs can be done with one die because they only go up to six right uh so you can build them all with one die and they usually have like a smaller bonus then the other two columns they go up all the way to like 10 right so they they're more costly uh and then the values vary but generally what the values are is they're not like strictly better uh, they're just, they have different shapes of roads on them. So like a single straight road on a tile is like cheaper than if I get like an intersection that crosses. And that actually matters a lot because when you're building on your player board, you have to connect everything with roads back to your palace. And also uh, along the outside of your player board, that's where your bonuses are. And if you can connect them to roads, you get these bonus things. So it's got this interesting tension of like, oh, how many, you know, how much do I want to focus on building enough roads versus like, not because you can actually run out of space to build if you if you build poorly enough you can like at at the end i almost built myself into a corner where i i was closed off from building anymore Well, the nice thing is is if you for some reason do make that mistake Mm -hmm. there's actually a space on the board that will let you overbuild a tile Uh so it's it's not like game ending if that were to happen it it, it's not efficient it will Mm -hmm. set you back you've made a mistake but it doesn't ever shut you out nothing in this game is is I feel like punishing in no, that way. No, not at all. It, I mean, I lost and I didn't feel punished from yeah. that. It's there's inefficient moves. There yeah. there are things that you can do that just you know aren't as efficient as other players. But that doesn't mean that you're just kind of shut out of the game. Mm-hmm. I, I guess we were having a brief conversation before we started recording too about the kind of almost economical nature of the game of like how tight it is. It's not. There's not a lot of fancy extra stuff going on. I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking about a lot of pieces and a lot of choices, but it does seem like thought through and a little tight in the fact of like be aware of how slightly different these tiles like are. Tight. <laughs> it's very tight. <laughs> and so I do think there's something really interesting about how much work must have gone into them looking at each element because there's there are so many choices to make sure something doesn't throw it off too much they had to look at the tiles they had to look at like all of those different kind of parts and pieces well it was interesting because the first time i played I actually i was kind of like ah, oh, everything kind of feels samey all the all the buildings are like this it's like one of four different palaces or one of three different markets that you're building and i was kind of like oh, i want like special powers and unique mm-hmm. upgrades and all sorts of things like that but having played it the second time i really sort of appreciated the tightness to the game how everything is sort of it's very clean and there's simple to it. but there's still a breadth of choice mm-hmm. and I think a big part of that was not playing with the dice granting buildings because yes. the first game I just I always had dice because there's these buildings a little mini expansion you can play with where the buildings generate dice for you so I just had tons of dice like every round uh, I think the weird fun of this which, game is when you are desperate yes. for your dice I there's like something that, that makes I like that, that really you have to work harder for yeah. dice and the other big thing is then the river becomes more important because a lot mm-hmm. of the spaces on the river give, give you, you dice, dice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in, in that previous game when we played with the expansion we actually a lot of people didn't hardly move up the river at all and I think part of that was we could just go to our buildings to, to get dice true 
Yeah. So I think all of that kind of, for me, shows just a lot of thought and love and care that was put into this game. Mm-hmm. You can kind of see that from, from it all. What do you think about the overall visual presentation, Kevin? So I, I got to say, when I first saw it, when the game first kind of came out of the box, I was, a, for the briefest moment, overwhelmed by all of it. Because when you look at the main player board, there are two victory tracks. There are yeah. many spaces. There are the spaces on the river. There are the other spaces of the people and, and the market. Um but then, very quickly, it drew me in. There's mm-hmm. something really interesting about the artwork style on this. It's a little bit, I think, Larry, you were saying at one point, felt a little maybe almost dated or retro to it. But I think what it is, is it's an art style that's trying to kind of evoke that 16th century uh, Indian style. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a little yeah. bit of it that feels um, art, artsy almost. Like, like they're trying to capture that. And there's this really kind of gorgeous, detailed artwork throughout the board because you see uh, a lot of the greenery as mm-hmm. we were making fun of, like ripping out the greenery from your player boards. But there are, like they draw the tree forest and it's like a top-down view. So you get all of this kind of the river and the forest and some of the, you know, um, the land kind of masses. Um, I, I think it is is really kind of beautiful. There's something about it. This board has so much detail in it. Detail, mm-hmm. you know, so like, much. Like there's, uh, you know, the elephants kind of walking across the 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 river, and mm-hmm. they're you know little people, um, you know, or I guess in the village, and it, it's stuff like that makes it nice. It it might almost make it feel on first blush a little too busy, but I think yeah, right. once you yep. kind of become familiar with the places, oh that, yeah, once you've played the game easy, a couple it's times, not even a couple times, yeah. it's a round or two. Yeah, the places are very simple because they're all organized in spaces that make sense. Um, I, yeah. I think that makes it easier. The first time I saw the board, I was immediately like, "Oh, what is that? Like, I want to play this." It reminds me a lot. Of the the style of it reminds me a lot of Marco Polo, Voyages of Marco Polo, yes. which is another game that I really love that also uses dice uh, and and place dice placement and stuff like that. So, how would you compare this to Marco Polo? Like, in, in if you had to, oh, I, I mean, I think that I like both of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that. I like Marco Polo a little bit more just because it it has like the little powers and things that you can get. I just love all powers. <laughs> you love a good tech tree. Technology you know, that's all you. are like what I'm all about. But I I really like the like the tightness of this game where it feels very like it feels very balanced and like carefully approached. Marco Polo is a little bit more like whoa things like different things can be. And, you know, really good or really bad, depending on the setup. Marco Polo is not really a worker placement game. No. It's more, you're kind of moving around a board. and It's a of, dice placement game. You're yeah. still, you, you, you use your dice to do everything. So it's sort of, in a sense, yeah, worker some, placement. Some of that is what mm-hmm. Rajas of the Ganges does as well. Yeah. So but I, I think see what, that. I think I like the dice requirements in this game of like how to use dice and different their values differently i think i like it better in this game whereas i like the like exploring and gaining new powers better in marco polo yeah nice who who would you guys say this game is kind of geared for what what level of player what type of player this to me i would i would actually go out on a limb and say this is a good introductory um complex <laughs> that sounds so stupid. <laughs> that is the stupidest thing. Okay, let me read. But I know what you're trying to say. And what I'm trying to say is like I if would you say want it's a more of a complicated casual game. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for that. That's exactly it's, what I was trying to it's say. It's a sampling. But it is there is a sampling going on here because there are a lot of different like kind of techniques and, and mechanics that you kind of see from other games all pulled together in this game, while still, like we were saying, kind of being tight enough that you get what's going on. That I think somebody who's maybe only just getting into these more Euro-y style games could 
really take to this. They'll feel really powerful, I think, playing this game because there's mm -hmm. a lot of things you can do. It's a nice way to introduce someone to, you know, worker placement, Mm -hmm. to, you know, tableau building, to dice management. There there are a lot of uh, techniques used in other games, you know, put in here that allow you to kind of become familiar with these other things. So when you see them in other games, you're like, oh, I know how to do this already. And that's why this game could be really interesting to somebody who's not really that familiar yet with a lot of Euros. There's something really nice about being like, here, play this. Um, Because of all those techniques, though, if you play it with a bunch of people at different skill levels, and we've said this before, that's almost any game, but this Mm -hmm. one's particularly, somebody could know the ins and outs of some stuff a little bit easier. I think there's a couple things that keep it from being a gateway game. I think one of the things that is a little bit more complicated for newer players is the fact that it's like you're using your workers and your dice to do actions, except for sometimes you don't need to die. It's a little bit weird. Like your number of actions is limited by your workers, but then most of the actions also require a die. And the die is not the money, which is also something else you Mm -hmm. spend. So there's a little bit complicated. There's like three levels to that. You're right. That could be where you can get an easier worker placement game out of it. It's almost like... um, intro plus it's like it's intro plus you've you've played a few intro games you kind of have some basics down and you are ready to kind of move to the next level Mm -hmm. yeah you like all yeah i would say once you've already played some worker placement games then i think you play like boards of water deep or something easy like that then i think you can move up to this i agree i agree and there's two levels even in this game i mean they have a kind of a basic version and a more advanced version Mm. and that affects even kind of the tableau building aspect of it the right. basic version is less yes. focused on that mm-hmm. um, I mean you, you still need to worry about it but you don't have to kind of you don't have to match it up as much it's easier it's, what you put down it's, you, you get bonuses easier without yes. having to make all the connections mm-hmm. still um, so, so it's nice again in, in my perspective and you are able to hold more dice in the advanced I mean in the, the basic version which yes. makes the dice management a little bit more easy as well oh and those dice are so pretty I love them so much <laughs> oh and just as another side note something that's really cute you have a little first player which is a little 3D cardboard mm-hmm. um, elephant, elephant that you kind of put together it's so cute as well and where you put your dice there's a little like cardboard cut out of you know the goddess that has all the, the hands for each die so mm-hmm. each hand she has out you can put a little I thought die that was really her. clever that's how you know how many dice in that game you're allowed to have mm-hmm. is maximum although very rarely do you get to a chance to fill them all up yeah. i had it all filled up once did you yep. i came close one time i think i, I at most had like four dice yeah you were not yeah <laughs> you, you can have up to like 10 that. i think it is yeah, yeah. something like that uh, eight or ten or eight. Eight. Yeah, it yeah, depends eight. which side of the the mm-hmm. game you're playing again yeah but uh it's actually nice it's actually really handy to have that little thing to slot your it's dice in handy to keep tra- did you say <laughs> It's multi-handy. No, no, okay. Okay, okay. moving on. on. I'm moving on. <laughs> well, um, I think we, you know, kind of got through a lot of what the game is like. We talked about a little bit about what it looks like. But, like, overall, let's get to the, the meat of the issue here for kind of a final review of this agenda point. Did you love it? Did you like it? Or would you give this a pass? Matt, why don't we start with you? Uh, so I would say that this, for me, it's a solid like. I like this game. Uh, I would Anytime somebody brought it out, I'd be like, yeah, that's great. I, I'm totally happy to play that. I don't think that I would be like jumping like, oh, come on, guys, let's play Rajas. I don't think I'd be campaigning for it, mostly because I like a little heavier, more like 
crazy weird powers. Uh, but when I did sit down to play it a second time, uh, I ended up enjoying it more than I thought I would, which is really good because I really got into it once we get started of trying to maximize all my fame and my money and all that stuff and managing my dice. So I did really enjoy it overall. So Larry, like it, love it, pass on it. I, I like it. Absolutely. I, I think it's a, a, a great game. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's a game you can play with, you know, your family, um, I would definitely play it again if folks asked and you know wanted to. Totally like it. I like it. I really do. It's a strong like for this one. There is um, something that's really compelling about this overall. And if it gets to the table, I'm going to be like, yeah, I'll pull up a seat. So I, I think we have three likes out of this. Uh, we'll have to have uh, Ben comment maybe on our social media about what he thinks of the game as well. We can get his opinion in there. <laughs> so that is Raja the Ganges. Um, and now we're going to move on to our next segment. Agenda item complete. Kakunk. Okay, the next item on our agenda is uh, a very special guest star, our dear friend Monica Yenser, who uh, runs a local gay uh, board game group here in Los Angeles. We thought this would be a perfect opportunity to pepper her with all kinds of questions to try and learn what we can about how to start, run, and kind of keep going a board game group. So without uh, further uh, ado, Monica, thank you for joining us this week. Thank you for having me. Of course. I figure we can start out with kind of the easy stuff, right? And mm-hmm. kind of talk about first kind of what, what is it that first got you into gaming? Um, I was just looking for a fun thing to do. I've never really been into like the club scene or the bar scene. I was looking for something fun. And I thought we were going to be playing, you know, Balderdash and Clue. And I showed up to this meetup one time to play board games. And I instantly just fell in love with this hobby. They threw me in the deep end with... Um, Arkham Horror, the first time I came. <laughs> the first one you played? Yes. And I was like, what am I doing here? Wow. But it was really fun, and yeah. I loved it. So, How long ago was this? That was 2009, so almost... Almost 10 years. 10 years, yeah. So you've been in the hobby for a while then. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what, what, um, what is your favorite genre of games? That's tough. Um, probably co-ops, if that's a genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. I like party games a lot, too, but I think co-ops are my favorite just because... My favorite part of gaming is is the collaboration with friends, um, and co-ops are perfect for that. We uh, we just played Hanabi the other day. That was actually really that was really fun. That was one of my favorite times. I, I think that might have been my first time that I played Hanabi with you. I think it was, um, yeah. And I was like, oh, Monica knows what's going on. We were a good team. Uh, I want to play. I want to play again with you. Hanabi is so hardcore. So first of all, oh yeah. my gosh, yeah. All, explain to folks kind of what Hanabi is, just in case they don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a. Uh, it's a game where you work together to build a fireworks display by playing different numbered uh, fireworks of different colors in the right order. But the trick to the game is that your cards, your hand of cards, doesn't face you. It faces all the other players. And so you have to give each other clues about what cards you have in your hand. And you have a limited number of clues to try to then play the cards in the right order and finish the fireworks. And the clues are limited either to a color or a number. So you could say this card here is green mm-hmm. or these two cards are the you know number, number three. three. Mm-hmm. Um, and then based on that, they have to figure out whether they want to play the card or play some other card or give a clue. Yeah. yeah? And you're trying to get them kind of in runs of one through five. But now, with the with the interesting thing is for Hanabi is is that people who play it a lot develop kind of like a secondhand language. Like they know yeah. if I say this card is two, it's I'm telling you that that means that the person after you actually has a one or some like crazy stuff like that. I totally got that <laughs> wrong, but that's the idea. Do you guys have that secondhand language? 
Yeah, I think there's definitely mm-hmm. things that you can do to improve your chances in Hanabi. Um, when you draw, draw new cards, put, putting them in the same side of your hand mm-hmm. so that you know what's new and what's old. Why does that um, matter? Because if, I, if I've had like these same three cards in my hand for a long time and nobody said anything to me and given me any clues about them, then I know that they're probably not very useful right now. But this new thing might be incredibly useful. So if I'm going to discard a card... Um, at any point, I wouldn't want to discard the newest thing. If that you makes would, sense. You want to discard the thing that no one's kind of clued you about, so you know it's probably junk. Yeah. And okay, to safe to discard. Yep. Because you have to discard cards to get more clues to be able to give people clues about their cards. So part of it is just getting rid of stuff. And if you discard the wrong card, you can like ruin a whole part of the fireworks display. So you have to yeah. be careful. Awesome. I know it's interesting to hear that your first kind of foray into kind of hobby board gaming was Arkham Horror. Yeah. Because for a lot of people, it's Catan. And I'm curious, have you played Catan? I've played Catan one time. One time. <laughs> and it was a really long time ago, and I don't remember anything about it, which is so funny because everyone talks about that being the intro game. No, I went into the deep end of the pool. Full <laughs> in Arkham Horror. Horror you know, yeah. Would you recommend that folks kind of dive in on the deep end, or would you would you prefer a more gradual walk into uh, to the pool? I don't know. I don't know. I guess it depends on the person. Well, so you run a uh, board game group, a gay board game group here in Los Angeles yeah. uh, called GBG, Gay Board Game Group. Yeah. Very original name. I totally <laughs> applaud you for that. Uh, you a know, lot of clever. gay in that name. Yeah. Yes. Um, and it's gamers with a Y. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Um, so, uh, you know, first of all, why is it that you have a group or why is it that you kind of run a group that's focused on the LGBT community? I don't know. Like I said, I mean, I, I think that there's something to be said for having a, a nice queer safe space that isn't a bar or a club or mm-hmm. um, revolving around dating. And this is kind of a thing for people who maybe aren't into those scenes or in sports or whatever. And they, they can have a safe space where they can commune with their community and have a fun time. And, you know, so gaming is, is I think it's great. I think it's great keeping these kinds of spaces open for our community. Is the group limited only to the LGBT community? Or? No, absolutely not. We have a lot of really fun, great straight members too. Um, <laughs> about, so, about how many people do you have in the group? There are 1,600 people in the group. 1,600? Yes. <laughs> but regular attendees, probably about <clears throat> like 300. 300 people on a regular yeah. basis. Where do you meet? We meet on campus at UCLA right now. We're looking into other venues um, also to try to have diversity and more space. But um, How frequently do you guys meet? Once a month, sometimes twice a month, or as often as I can during the week and on the weeknights. We meet sometimes at Game House, which is a board game cafe here in Los Angeles. So running a group with so many people, like that's huge. 16, I mean, I... I, I can't even imagine i have 1600 friends like what like what is this right um on, i don't have any that many friends on facebook i don't think anybody does right whatever yeah um how do you how do you manage that how did you how did you get the group to be that big what did you do to advertise to get people to kind of learn about the group it kind of sells itself and i feel like a lot of people you know friends tell friends and you know the, i think the most important thing to do is to establish a fun and and welcoming community and then that way, when somebody does come, they're going to tell their friends about it. They're going to invite their friends to come with them next time. And that's how it grows. Or, you know, and I'm always, you know, every time I find out in the community, like family, I tell them about GBG and mm-hmm. I'm like, you should come to our gate. And sometimes it works and sometimes I'm a crazy person and they don't come. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> but that also 
That's yeah. That's I mean, that's how I ended up coming to GBG for the first time. Was another a friend of mine like brought me there. Daniel Daniel brought me in, and I was like, oh, what what is this? So just totally uh, totally word of mouth. Yeah. Do you do you use any other the social media like uh, Facebook or Meetup or anything like that? Yeah, we're on Meetup, mm-hmm. um, and then we have a Facebook group now. So, but it seems that the Facebook group doesn't get a lot of new people in the Los Angeles area. It seems like it's just the people who've already come to a, an event. And then other people from around the world who just decide to join because they see it's a gay board gaming group, but they don't realize that it's like Los Angeles specific, I guess. <laughs> There's a lot of people from England. and Well, that's interesting to me, the fact that you know people from around the world uh, are joining this Facebook group because it, it suggests that there's probably an uh, interest or, or kind of a need mm-hmm. for this Absolutely. kind of safe space yeah. you know, in other cities. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what advice would you give to folks who maybe are looking to start their own kind of gay board game group or, or even just a board game group in general? I think the most important thing is the venue. Um, and if you have it in your home, that's great too. But of course, you know, it's risky having strangers in your home. But if you can find a way to get a venue that's that's cheap or um, accessible through local churches or local businesses is great. Um, and then people will come. They'll, they'll come and the word of mouth will spread. And just having, you know, the one thing I've, I've heard from people who've had other gaming groups and that that have been unsuccessful is that they're not very welcoming and they're not very friendly and a lot of people like walk into a room where everybody's already gaming at a table and there's just no welcome there's Mm -hmm. no and they just feel very fish out of water and they don't know what to do with themselves and some people can respond well to that and can dive right in because their their personalities are such that they can do that. But other people are very shy and they sort of need someone to hold their hand a little bit more. Particularly if they've not ever really experienced gaming before. Exactly. It's like mm-hmm. almost a double whammy. You exactly. don't really know the games. You don't know what you're doing. And then in addition, you're going to a place with totally total strangers not really knowing what the etiquette is or what you should be doing. Exactly. So how do you address that problem? How do you make sure that, that when new folks come, it's a, a welcoming environment for them? I sit at the front of the door and I, when they come in, I welcome them. I shake their hand. I explain to them what, you know, where the snacks are. We have snacks that are for free and we have drinks for sale and where the bathrooms are. And I give them a name tag. And, you know, if there's people like Matt or, you know, someone that's milling around that is, isn't in a game, I'll often call them over and be like, you know, Matt, can you come here? This is Henry. He's new. And he, you know, whatever. Um, and try to pair Henry up with some games that he might like if he, if he has any idea. And if he's interested in more simple things, like simple games, or just doesn't feel like, feels like a fish out of water, I can kind of tell, then I just have him sit down with me at the front there, and we play little light games at the front table. So it sounds like you don't get to play a whole lot of kind of heavy games. Or, yeah, definitely not. Or no more Arkham Horror for you. No, no. It's more lighter <laughs> stuff either at the front fair or just kind of generally manning the Monica's yes. really good at that, where she's like... It's literally like as you enter, the, there's like, boom, there's like Monica at her table playing some like quick game, you know, Love Letter. Um, what's the other one? The Lost Legacy. Yeah. Um, things like that. And usually it's a type of game that's very easy for people to jump into. I think the first time I went to one of these groups, I saw you playing a uh, Alice in Wonderland like parade oh, game parade, or something. Yeah. Is it called Parade? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, oh, what is this game? It's <laughs> um, fantastic. So I imagine that with all these people... Um, you know, gamers being what they are, there's bound to be some table flipping or some sort of disputes between people or just bitchy queens. I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> um, does that ever come up? Um, fortunately, our group's actually really great. Sixteen hundred people. There's like yeah. There's there's been a couple of um, situations, but they kind of work themselves out in a way. And I've only really had to have a tough conversation with a couple of people. How do you handle that? I mean. 
how do you how do you tell someone either hey you're being really disruptive or you're not treating people with respect or you know yeah, I mean, the first time it happened, it was someone who was kind of touch, touchy-feely in an inappropriate way um, very early into the relationships with people, like that he didn't mm. know them well enough and he was like giving them back massages and stuff. Not gropey, weird stuff, but just like uncomfortable and people complained. And I had to talk to him about it and say, you know, this is making people uncomfortable and people are avoiding you. And, um, you know, and I felt bad because like the new people who didn't know how he was would often end up with him. And so it was like kind of turning them away from the group mm-hmm. experience generally. Giving them kind of a wrong idea about what the exactly. purpose of the, the, the meetup was. So I had a conversation with him and then he just stopped coming. So that kind of solved itself. And then um, every other thing has just been kind of easier. Have you ever had to ban anybody or see like, yeah, yeah. the two people. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, how did, how did that go come about? Like, what was that? I mean, I mentioned it's difficult. So do you have, I guess what I'm trying to drive at is do you have like a code of conduct or a series of rules that you tell people like, um, you know, treat games with respect, you know, don't eat and drink around the board games, like anything like that? I mean, there's there's a definitely a code of conduct on our, our website, um, our meetup page about how to behave. But I mean, everyone's an adult and I can't really micromanage their every move. But I think so far I, I haven't really noticed anybody being disrespectful to the games or to each other that much you know mm-hmm. just general you know little incompatibilities and stuff but nothing that's really wor- horrible how do you how do you ensure that there's actually enough games there for people to play i mean with with 300 people coming to an event you know if... no 300 people don't come to the event oh, oh. 300 people are just regular members our events usually are between 50 and 65 people okay, at fine this point. with 50 to 65 <laughs> people coming to an event <laughs> yeah. You know, how do you make sure that there's enough games for people to play? Oh, I have a lot of games um, that I've gotten over the years that are more simple kind of games, intro games. And then a lot of members bring their own games that they want to play. And and that's really what's fun about the group, too, is that, you know, you have somebody who has a game that he really wants to play but doesn't really get a chance to in his normal life because his friends don't really play games or his family doesn't, you know. So he brings them to this and then he can find people to, you know, play Battlestar Galactica with him or whatever. Do you do any big games? Do you do any theming like um, I don't know for Valentine's for February doing some sort of like you know Valentine's definitely theme yeah yeah and some of the newer games I try to feature the newer games but the problem is I don't really have them necessarily so I hope I ask people who do maybe have them or own the new games to bring them for a featured game. Do you do you use the group to do anything other than just board gaming like I don't know are there other uh, you know, I don't know, uh, escape rooms or scavenger hunts or, you know, whatever that you also kind of tie into the, the group or is it strictly focused on just board games? Not so far. The only thing I've done was um, GBG Survivor, which Wait, was what is this? really fun. <laughs> it's just like the show Survivor, except um, it's just throughout one day and there's challenges and rewards. And so, so you have a whole bunch of people come together and like Survivor split up into teams and yep. then do a bunch of challenges? Yeah. Like... What kind of challenges? Because I'm, I'm imagining right now you doing some sort of crazy obstacle course across like UCLA or something, and that sounds kind of <laughs> yeah. Real. I had people running around the campus on a scavenger hunt, and I had people. Um, did you come up with like all the challenges yourself, or do you have like a team of people to work I with? I did. You? I did them by myself. I mean, a lot of them were from you know the internet and googling like what would be a fun ten minute quick challenge, you know that kind of thing. I'm not. I, did, I don't take credit for coming up with the games themselves, but um, but yeah, and I put it together in this big spreadsheet. It was this huge. Big oh my God, ordeal, this, but this it sounds was, so much fun. It was really fun. I th- I had a great time, and I was just hosting it. But I was, was there a lot in of it. Yeah. Oh, you were in it. 
Yeah. Was there a lot of backstabbing? Did <laughs> <laughs> you, you make promises, pinky swears to people that maybe you didn't fulfill? I can't recall what you're talking about, Larry. Yeah? Okay. <laughs> was, there, was, there, was there a lot of backstabbing? Tables? There was a lot of backstabbing because then as soon as I, I came in knowing actually a lot of the people. Um, so I was all like, this is great. I'll be able to like make alliances and work with people. Uh, and then as soon as the merge happened, every all of my friends just decided that it was time to get rid of me. Yeah. So, <laughs> be- because they, everybody knows he's smart and good at games. So. That's, see, yep. even Monica yep. says it. Everyone knows that you're going to win if you stay in. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> You got to play a more devious game. Hopefully, I'll do better next time. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. So, you know, as we bring this kind of segment to a close, what, uh, you know, other than being welcoming, you know, which seems to kind of be, I think, maybe top of the list. Yeah. What other advice would you would you give to someone who is thinking about doing this? I mean, is it is it a lot of time? Is it a lot of work? I mean, I've got it down to a well oiled machine at this point. I you know buy the snacks and drinks the morning of. I have a cooler that I keep in my car for that. You know. bring the games you know with me out of my house or I leave them in the trunk of my car I don't know and and Matt is very helpful too he's um, constantly there helping me with with the venue and with um, loading and unloading all the stuff and and he's very friendly with the new people and stuff too so I don't know so it's it's kind of important to kind of maybe find a a core group of two to three people who can help with the logistics kind of be that welcoming party people who have experience with kind of board gaming in general yeah and then finding a good space to bring people in and then kind of let it grow organically through word of mouth, you know, advertise to people, you know, advertise on meetup and, Mm -hmm. and and there's probably more advertising you could do. I mean, I've actually Mm -hmm. thought about getting, you know, GBG, um, what are they called? Buttons? No, um, cards like for business cards, oh, business cards. cards. <laughs> yeah you know just to hand out to random people on the street right. i don't know if i would ever find anybody to give them to but you never know that'd but be yeah. fun you know yeah well um great i i appreciate this you know thank you so much for your time um thanks for having me and for our listeners who are in la can where can they find your meetup group oh on meetup.com uh, backslash gay hyphen board hyphen gamers <laughs> with a Y Super, yeah with a Y or you can just literally google gay board gamers with a Y and it'll, it'll send you right to that meetup group fantastic cool. yeah well I think that brings um, this agenda item to a close uh, we can check it off our list and uh, that brings this podcast to a close so, so for all you folks out there listening at home Matt, tell them where they can find us. All right. So you can find us on social media, on Instagram and on Facebook and on Twitter uh, at The Game Agenda. Uh, Please like, uh, uh, subscribe, listen to us on whatever podcast you listen to, whether it's iTunes, SoundCloud. You can find us anywhere searching for The Game Agenda. Uh, Keep watching us every week and subscribe and comment. Let us know if you've got a gaming group that you play with in your area. Or if you don't, let us know if you're interested in making one and ideas you might have for that uh, or questions you might have for us. Uh, uh, Until next week, I'm Matt. I'm Larry. And I'm Kevin. Bye. Bye.